Oh, it is recording now. Okay. All right. Oh. All right. In five, four, three. I'm not going to do a countdown. This is Existential, the podcast that reminds us that we're human first before we're anything else. And from that place, we can hear each other's stories and experiences as we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Um, today, uh, with back with us, I've been saying that a lot because I've got some people that I just want to talk to while we're um, staying in place, or what was that, sheltering in place, or quarantine, whatever you call it, um, during this COVID-19 crisis, this global pandemic. And one of the people that I'm like, duh, we have to talk to during um, this is uh, my good friend Danny Fitch, uh, who is a mental health professional who's doing great work on social media to, to help us like keep ourselves healthy emotionally, mentally. So I wanted to bring her on to talk about it. So Danny, how, how are you doing right now? First of all, how, how are you and, uh, and your family, your husband, your dog? How are y'all doing? <laughs> Um, you know what? I, I would say overall we're doing well, you know, considering all the changes, um, physically, obviously, you know, that I've been sick, um, for the past week. So I think that's weird because normally when you're sick, you're just like, Oh, I'm sick. I'll take some time off. And I think probably just like everybody else getting sick, you immediately go into panic mode. Yeah. Um, but we're doing well. I think we're just adapting to the changes. It's weird having to transition into, teletherapy um but we're doing good you know what all things considered i think we're in a good place well not what everyone wants to know danny is do you have that rona right now do, do yeah. you do you have it like do you, do you know as far as i know no it's just a cold i don't have all of the symptoms that check off the list it was just like the absolute beyond worst timing to just happen to get sick <laughs> in the middle of this um, so even like the first week when all this kind of hit, I was still seeing clients in person. And then halfway through the week I got sick and oh, I had to quarantine myself simply because even though I knew it's most likely not coronavirus, I was like, there is no way that I'm going to like put myself out there and get anyone else sick right now. So for sure. Like, Have you gone? Yeah. So you've not gone out in public since you got sick like last week or a couple weeks ago, no, I guess. I have literally like shut myself into my house. Like the most that I leave is literally just take a, take a walk up the block and back. Oh my um, gosh. Now how, how is that? Like, how are you like, how are you managing uh, that? It's really hard. Um, it's really hard. You don't really think about how much you like just being able the freedom to just leave your house. And I've never missed going to the grocery store so much, um, <laughs> but because I can't, I really want to. Yeah. Um, but it's, I have to just keep reminding myself like, Hey, as long as I can go outside and like feel the sun, take my dog on a walk. Um, that's at least really helpful to remind myself like, Hey, like you're okay. You can get outside. It's just temporary that you can't go anywhere. So I know it'll pass. So. Yeah. Well, speaking of it passing, we're all yeah. sort of hoping that 2020 goes away sooner than later. <laughs> it's been the worst year. I mean, I, 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 I won't speak for everyone in the world, but for me, um, yeah. it sort of begins with Kobe Bryant and his daughter yeah. passing and all those all of the other victims of the helicopter crash. And yeah. then, you know, we have we now have a global pandemic 
first time in my life that I've ever dealt with anything like this. It is okay. so surreal. I went to Costco the other day and mm-hmm. to see all of the people wearing masks and gloves and um, the the sign out front of Costco that lets you know what they have and what they don't have. It, it felt yeah. like one of those like end of the world movies to be, totally. you know, yeah. and, and a, like a, two weeks ago, I think we were, we got up at five 30 in the morning to go to Safeway and get groceries. And there was a line to get into wow. the store, you know? Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. And, and we are all sort of experiencing mm-hmm. together some of the most uh, dark days of our lives. Mm. Is there such a thing as like, you know, collective trauma uh, yeah. <laughs> where we all yeah. are sort of going through something together? Yeah. Um, there's actually two things that are happening right now, kind of collectively and individually. Um, and hopefully we can, we can kind of talk about both, but they do overlap, which is um, we are absolutely as like a world right now, we are collectively experiencing trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I talked a little bit about this on the video that I posted a few days ago. Um, but essentially our physical well-being is being threatened right now. And mm-hmm. that's one of the very definitions of what trauma is. And what's different is normally people experience trauma, like at least in their head, they think, oh, if I was to experience a trauma, it would be me individually, maybe a few people if it was, you know, a car accident or something. But this is, I think for a lot of people, um, this is kind of hard to wrap their head around that we literally, not only individually, but collectively as a world are experiencing the same trauma right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So are we like, Oh, oh were you, were you sorry? I was going to, I was going to say something really quick, actually. Um, this is also just as a side note, just for people that are listening that when you hear that word trauma, it's not just our physical well being that's being threatened. Um, because I think there's a few people that fall under this camp that are saying, okay, no, I totally get that quote unquote, my physical well-being is potentially at risk, but I think there's a lot of people that they feel like, well, I'm not being, you know, traumatized right now because I'm not directly being affected. Like I don't have coronavirus or nobody I does. So I'm not really, you know, a part of that camp right. of trauma. Right. But I think something that's really important to remember is that traumatic stress is not limited to people that are just directly affected. Um, so you can experience traumatic stress simply by things like repeated exposure to everything that's going on. Right. So we are Mm -hmm. living in a day and age where not only, you know, are we experiencing trauma collectively, but we are constantly being bombarded with information about it. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is not the first, um, time that there has been something like this that has happened in the world, but this is one of the first times it's happened where we have an abundance of information. So every day when you go on your phone or when you turn on your computer or when you turn on the TV or even just in any conversation anywhere around you, you are constantly getting information about the trauma that's happening. And one thing that we know is that with repeated exposure, it actually overwhelms our nervous system and that can create stress. And this this is what we call traumatic stress. Wow. So 
the the 24-hour news cycle, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the constant feed of our social media mm-hmm. is potentially causing us, like, even more trauma. Like, just being informed about what's actually happening in the world, the physical threat that is COVID-19. The constant bombardment of news about that is um, causing us emotional and mental trauma. That's what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So what is the, is there, what's the balance then between Mm, trying to be informed? Like I, for a season, I was like watching the, the, you know, White House press briefings every morning just to kind of get updated. And then after a while, it started feeling like they're saying the same things over and over. And if something really urgent is going on, I'll find out via Twitter or someone will call me. Um, Mm -hmm. So I stopped. But you do want to be informed, but you also want to, you know, not be so inundated with bad news and data about something that's literally killing people in the world, throughout the world. Like what yeah. is what is the rhythm uh, a good rhythm to have between being informed and taking a break? That's and you know what it's the perfect question and you're gonna hate this answer, but <laughs> <laughs> but the the, <laughs> the the honest truth is you know everybody has to find their own balance. But hmm. one thing that I I will say to that is you know um, something to keep in mind is people every person every individual is going to respond differently to trauma. And so there's going to be some people who are going to be obsessively wanting to listen to the news and find out what's going on. And there's going to be other people who want complete and total distance from it. Right. And then there's some of us that land somewhere in the middle. Um, So that being said, if everybody responds differently and if everybody gets triggered differently, there isn't one right or wrong way to find that balance. So it has to be individually what works for you. But um, where I would start in finding that answer is how often are we actually being reflective of how do we feel like this is impacting us? What is our reason for doing this? Um, I think a lot of the reason why people obsessively look at the news is that it's their own reaction to their own anxiety. So Mm -hmm. their own anxiety and their own fear is so overwhelming that Sometimes it's really, really uncomfortable to just sit with that anxiety, to sit with that discomfort. And so we kind of unconsciously will find things to focus on or distract ourselves. And so I think not for everybody, but I think sometimes that obsessively, you know, filling yourself with information, I think there's, there's two parts to that. I think part of it is maybe unconsciously, I feel like if I just listen and I'll, I'll hear the answer that's going to finally make me feel better or it's my way of distracting from the fact that I'm feeling some very real, very uncomfortable feelings I just don't want to sit with. So when it comes to finding balance, I first and foremost say, before you decide what that balance looks like, I think you need to take some time to really sit and reflect on what you've been feeling, how this has impacted. Yeah. 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 I like... So I love that. And and here's here's another question I have for you, because one of the things that I feel like people are most resistant to sitting with is fear. It's people people that are like actually afraid. There are people who are 
who have respiratory issues. There's people who are uh, in that sort of um, age range where they're more at risk for the virus being fatal that are genuinely afraid. And certainly people of faith have a very hard time with the notion that there's that there's fear involved in this because you get into all these sort of like theological slash religious based thoughts about like, you know, well, God didn't create us to be afraid and we shouldn't be afraid and blah, blah, blah. So you put this, mm. I shouldn't be in front of your fear that prevents you from being able to sit with your fear. So like, yeah. how, how do you, um, as a, as a professional in this, right? How do you advise people who are afraid, who feel fear like, mm-hmm. what do you say to those people about how they should manage the thing that's very real that they feel? You know, the first thing I would say is, you know, obviously, in addition to just being a human being and a therapist, um, I am I am a believer. Like, you know, my faith is a huge part of who I am. But, you know, the one thing that I, I would I would, you know, lovingly say to people is <sighs> telling people that fear should not exist in you. Um, it's dangerous. I get the intention behind it. I totally understand the heart behind it because I absolutely 100% believe as somebody that not everybody that's listening, you know, um, is a Christian. That's totally okay. But I know for me personally, I have watched how my faith has really helped pull me out of some dark places and out of some fear. But to say that fear should not exist um, what you're unintentionally doing to people is telling them that if you are experiencing fear, there's a something wrong with you. And if mm-hmm. you and B, if you're a Christian, um, we've talked about this before, um, I think in the last time we chatted here, um, yeah. that B, that your faith is not strong enough right now. Um, and that's taking us completely away from the point. Here's what I would say. Not only is fear um, something that each of us is going to experience. And not only is it okay that we're experiencing it, mm. I would actually throw this out there. Um, I would reframe what people are experiencing right now, not as fear, but as grief. Oh, shoot. Okay. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so <laughs> on that, I actually, today, this is ironically, um, a friend of mine were just talking about this mm. yesterday and it was completely ironic because I had the post that I have today that I'm going to post on Instagram is all about this, which is, um, it's called spoiler alert, what you're experiencing with grief. Mm. So let's take that idea of fear. And I'm actually curious. I'm totally going to do a therapy thing. And I'm going to throw a question back at you. When I reframe that as what we're experiencing as a grief, like, how does that hit you? It, it strikes me as like a much better way of naming it and a way of allowing me to work through something instead of trying to run away from something I feel, you know, like when you say grief, I go, Oh, okay. Then I'm, I'm involved in a process that I've for a long time now believed was a God given process for Mm -hmm. coping with heaviness that I may be experiencing, whether it's a a macro micro level, whether it's like something as, as small as I was disappointed that, you know, we had pasta for dinner when I was looking forward to having rice and chicken. There's there's a yeah. grief process that I go into for that. And then there's the extremes of I lost a job or I lost a loved one. And then mm-hmm. I give myself permission in those areas to go, I feel what I feel and it's grief. And I don't have any of the extra baggage 
that comes along mm-hmm. with, well, I shouldn't be feeling grief. Yeah. And you just really beautifully just named exactly what I think my hope is that everyone would do that instead of focusing on this word fear, if we can understand that really what's happening is we are all collectively and individually, not only experiencing a trauma, Hmm. but we are collectively and individually right now um, going through a grieving process. Wow. It's, it completely changes things. Cause so think about that grief. um, I know how most people probably know that there's like the, the stages of grief But um, if you even just think about each one of those stages, I mean, think about individually and collectively, and you'll see how each person is absolutely falling into these categories. You know, there's some people that are very much in that first stage of their incomplete, like shock and denial, maybe Mm -hmm. at a certain point, like early on, we probably all kind of went through that. And that's really normal, which is when this kind of first rolled out. Um, I think there was a lot of shock and denial around like, okay, I get that this thing exists over there, but it doesn't affect me. So I don't need to worry about it. I think there's some people that, yeah, all of that stuff for sure. Yeah. And I, I think there's some people that even right now, I know, um, some people that are still very much, I think, stuck in that place. It's how you stay safe um, mm-hmm. to think that, no, this is not a big deal. And we look at them as being you know, ignorant, but I look at that more as, man, this is really how you are self-protecting right now, is you have oh, to dang. convince yourself that this is, this is not something that's going to impact you. Danny, that um, just made me so mad inside. Why? <laughs> because, you know, full disclosure, now, there are times where I'm like, I admit to everyone that's listening to existential that I'm, you know, that, that deep down inside, sometimes I'm not a very good person because I want to be mad at the people who are in denial. Like I, I, the people who, who will look me in the face and say that, you know, this is not a big deal. It's a media hoax. It is people's panic. It is all these other things. Like they make me so mad that I don't want to offer them the empathy of saying, <laughs> you know what, you're self-protecting, but you know what, Danny, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to allow you to to elevate me into a into a better human being right now, and I'm I'm going to give all of those people the benefit of the doubt that they were just self protecting by checking into some denial, and and I'll yeah. I'll leave it be that I'll, that that's what it'll be for me from now on. And if if I can encourage you in anything, is don't be too hard on yourself, um, and don't you don't even have to like feel like you're supposed to be at some quote unquote elevated place. If anything, even just for the next few hours, the next few days, even just wrestle with that idea of, again, one of the best things we can do is just wrestle with reframing things. So if I reframe fear as grief, if I reframe their denial as the beginning stages of the grieving process, Mm -hmm. then this might just be them self-protecting. Um, and then for, you know, the rest of the world, you can see how we've kind of moved in and out of these different stages of grief, um, of things changing in our life. I mean, think about it. There's grief over the fact that our life just looks different. The world looks different and there's not only loss of income and jobs, there's Mm -hmm. loss of social connection. And for Mm -hmm. some people, there's the actual very real threat of loss of life of loved ones and maybe yeah. even themselves. Yeah. There's loss of, you know, spiritual connection people feel. Um, so, I mean, again, when you look at it through the lens of grief, it, it so much more makes sense of what people are experiencing. Yeah, it really does. It really does. So, so you're saying um, that just in, internally there is, 
work we can do to cope with this by accepting our own grief and yeah. wrestling with whatever stage of grief we're in. Um, mm-hmm. Can you just really quickly for anyone who may be unaware of the stages of grief to sort of run through, um, you know, what those are, name them so people can sort of self-identify where am I in, in this whole grief process? Yeah. So here's one thing though, to kind of keep in mind is that, um, so the actual, there's seven stages of grief. There's shock and denial. Sorry, there's not seven stages, but there's shock and denial. Mm -hmm. There's anger, Mm -hmm. bargaining, Mm -hmm. depression, and then Mm -hmm. acceptance. Okay. There's technically five, but sometimes they, they'll break shock and denial into two different ones. Um, but anyways, so there's those five stages of grief denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. But here's something really important to keep in mind is um, most people think that you move through the stages of grief, like in a linear way, like you just go from one stage to the next. And then finally Mm -hmm. you reach acceptance. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one of the biggest myths about the stages of grief. Mm -hmm. So how you actually experience grief is it's a little bit more chaotic. So you kind of move in and out of different stages. So might look like I feel like I'm actually moving through the stages and then one day I wake up and I feel like I'm back in this like anger place. So this is really normal. And I think it's really helpful for people to hear that, hey, you're not going to move through this in a linear way and don't be scared of that. That's actually really normal. Mm. So obviously Mm -hmm. the ultimate goal is to get to this place of acceptance Mm -hmm. um, because the longer that we deny that we are grieving, then the longer we stay stuck and then this can lead to things like anxiety and depression. Mm. So the ultimate goal is first and foremost to name what's happening, to name the reality of, Hey, here's the reality of what is happening right now. Mm. And the reality is I am experiencing a trauma and I am grieving the loss of a life that I was hoping would look very different. So if you can just start there and put a period at the end of that sentence, there's no rush. There is no trying to justify. There is no trying to talk yourself out of it. It's, this is the most uncomfortable part for most people is, can you just sit with the feelings? Can you Mm. just sit with the discomfort? Mm. Wow. How can all of us who are not trained professional uh, mental health specialists uh, help our friends, our loved ones, the people around us cope with their grief or can we? Yeah, I think first, yeah. And well, yes and no. So I would say the yes part is, um, actually I'm gonna start with the no part. The no part is, you know, part of grief and trauma is learning to accept what's not in your control and what is. Mm. And, um, so I'm going to side, I'm going to go a little side deviation, but I promise it'll connect. Um, One of the reasons that I think a lot of people are feeling so much frustration right now is we're seeing everybody around us, you know, individuals, but also globally um, reacting in ways that we think are inappropriate, that Mm -hmm. we think are not um, the right, quote unquote, ways to be dealing with this. And as long as we stay focused on how other people are responding or reacting and dealing with their stuff, Mm -hmm. then it's number one, it's just you know, it's just a really subtle way that we avoid dealing with our stuff. And number two, the longer that you stay focused on things that are absolutely out of your control, because you cannot control how other people are going to think, feel, or act, right? 
Mm-hmm. So the longer that I stay fixated on what I can't control, then the longer I am like, I'm putting off not only dealing with my stuff, but it's just going to activate my anger and my anxiety more. Mm. So first and foremost, you cannot control how other people are going to be dealing with this. And that includes how they're going to process this or their level of healing. What you can do is offer a safe place, show compassion. So more than anything, it's you have to be willing to tap into a place of grace and compassion, put all of your expectations completely aside and just be with people where they're at Mm. to make space in a safe way to say, Hey, I know this is scary. I know this, the world is changing around you and there's a lot of unexpected things happen. I'm here for you. How are you doing? Let's just sit in that. And it's not up to you to decide how their kind of process of healing looks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's so good. So we, in essence, just allow people the space that they need to process the way they're processing. And we just sort of, agree to be there with them. Absolutely. Checking in on them, you know, letting them know that it's okay to sit in some of the pain, um, you know, really affirm and normalize what they're going through, but trying to convince somebody that they're doing it the wrong way is that's, that's not us showing compassion. That's us putting expectations on things that we can't control. Wow. You're doing a really good job not coughing, by the way, on this I I think it's the second that we get off, I'm probably going to pass out like on the floor because I've been holding it in so hard. (laughs) Because we don't want people to just instantly drop their, you know, phone or whatever they're listening to. (laughs) The second we get off, it's all going to come out. I've been holding it in really well. (laughs) Well, so let me ask you this. Um, How could you rattle off some ways, healthy ways that people can... Mm -hmm cope with, you know, the, the change that the new normal that we have, people that are stuck indoors, people that have uh, lost income, people that are no longer able to go to work. Um, what are, what are ways that we can physically cope mentally? Mm -hmm. Um, You've gone through a lot of the mental, emotional, but are there some like sort of physical exercise type things that are healthy ways of us coping with this, this new reality we're sitting in right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So again, if we look at this through the fact that, you know, we're all experiencing a trauma, we're all in a grieving process, there's some things that we know absolutely are the best things you can do. So here's a few of them. Um, I've talked about this before, and you might have seen other people talking about this, but it's really like these are, these are absolutely 100% true. And the first one is um, really creating a sense of safety for yourself, safety and stabilization. I say this so much, um, but for those who have never heard me talk about this, when I say that the first thing you need to do is create safety and stabilization, I mean that you need to be taking care of yourself. Mm. So safety means physically, mentally, emotionally, how are you staying safe? So that might look like social distancing right now, or that might look like making sure that you're getting a good amount of rest. Um, stabilization looks like, and this is a big one, creating some sort of healthy routine and structure to your day is one of the best things you can do. Hmm. Again, this is not even just for the fact that we are, you know, dealing with a global pandemic. Anytime you go through trauma or grief, one of the best things you can do is establish some sort of structure and routine. We, this is something that we teach with um, trauma victims 
So things as it might sound silly, but I'll tell you things like getting up. And the first thing you do is make your bed, Mm. take a shower, change out of your, you know, night sweats into your day sweats. I don't know what people wear. (laughs) Um, Put on your fancy sweats for right now. Um, But yeah, so like things like making your bed, taking a shower, changing your clothes. And then, you know, some of the teams that I work with, we even like created a little schedule where they would literally kind of map out their day and create like, okay, for the next two hours, like I'm going to do work. And so if you're like an adult scheduling, this is the time that I'm going to do work. I'm going to make my brain do some work and then scheduling in time for self-care. So creating some sort of routine and structure is really great. Um, Now you don't have to be so, you know, fixated on it that you don't allow yourself to have days where, you know what, I just need a break for my schedule. Like that's totally okay. Hmm. Um, the second thing is I already mentioned this, but making sure that you're practicing really good self-care. So the best ways to do that are things like go on a walk. Don't have your headphones in, like literally just go and just be in the quiet Hmm. and just process. Um, I recommend apps like calm or headspace because they have really great little mindfulness things that you can do. Um, self-care also includes things like having downtime for yourself. So you might be in a family situation where you're doing lots of family togetherness, but also creating space for yourself to have alone time is important. Hmm. Um, the next thing is you have to move your body. This is so important. One thing that trauma does is it gets stored in your body. So Hmm. we know that physical activity actually helps regulate how that trauma is getting stored in your body. So 30 minutes a day of some sort of physical activity. Um, Dude, eating healthy. I know this is a big thing that some people don't want to hear right now. Um, I'm totally okay with people like having their quote unquote, like quarantine snacks. Like there's nothing wrong with that, but as much as you can eat healthy meals, be really careful how much alcohol you drink. I knew you were were going to talk about the alcohol. I knew you were going to do that. (laughs) I know. And here's the thing is, again, you have to remember that everything that I'm saying comes in a form of balance. So no part of me is saying you're not allowed to have, you know, some Cheez-Its before bed and you're not allowed to have a glass (laughs) of whiskey. I mean, my husband would kill me if I told him no whiskey was allowed. Um, But, (laughs) but it's more about take a, take a, like a step back and just notice, am I using this as a way to cope? Right. Am I drinking, you know, more than normal? Am I drowning my sorrows or am I eating my feelings? Um, Mm. it's really easy to go to those things of comfort and not realize how much we're using it to supplement. So also things like alcohol and unhealthy foods can actually increase depression. Mm. So this is also just clinically something to know. Um, and then probably the, the last couple ones that are important are, we've already talked about this, but please limit your exposure to the news. Um, yeah. Limit your exposure to social media. You know, that being bombarded by information at a certain point, it's just noise that's really, really going to increase your anxiety. So I really want to caution people that you don't need to be on the 24 hour news cycle and even put some limits around social media Um, and connect with people as much as possible. I love how creative people are getting right now. So keep that up. Um, 
And then the very last thing, and that nobody likes to hear is, dear God, please deal with your feelings. Yeah. I think one thing that is awesome, but also frustrating for me right now is I love how much people are doing in this downtime and they're filling their days with being productive. But what I fear is that we're being so productive that we're not taking the time to just sit and deal with how we're feeling. Yeah. And no matter how much distraction you have, that's not going to take away the stuff that you're wrestling with. And sometimes you need to just sit and cry and think about how scared you are or how overwhelmed you feel. Um, that's honestly one of the healthiest things you can do. Wow. That's so good. So helpful. Um, I, I definitely have uh, my quarantine snacks, you know, we, and we keep talking about like not wanting to put on the, the, the COVID-19. Um, the quarantine 15. <laughs> yeah, like that, like that excess weight. But I didn't, you know, the 30 yeah. minutes of exercise is something that we certainly need to start adding. Um, I, I start, you know, people, these push-up challenges going around, I started trying to do some push-ups and realized how heavy I've actually gotten. It's a little bit depressing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think taking walks and all those things, it's really helpful. I loved when you talked about our bodies carrying trauma mm -hmm. and how exercise um, can affect that. One last question for you uh, mm -hmm. in, regard, in regards to substances, because this is just a real thing. We are, uh, and certainly you and I live in California where um, mm -hmm. I think marijuana has been legal for some time now. So... Um, with substances like marijuana and alcohol, um, well, you already talked about alcohol, so let's let me ask this question about the substance of marijuana. Is that something that is harmful to your knowledge? You may, if you don't know, you can just say you don't know, and then people can just you know keep waking and baking if they want to. Um, but like, is there is there like any sort of effect on our ability to cope with grief, trauma? during this season, is there any correlation between that and marijuana? Um, okay. So here's what I'll say, because on the one hand, I don't want to make a blanket statement because, um, I think sometimes individually, you know, different substances affect people differently. I know there's some people out there that medicinally use it and it's actually been really helpful. There's things like CBD oil that I know have been really effective in helping you know, decrease, you know, some different symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, so I will say that, but, um, here's, here's one thing that I do know that if, again, if you just look at this from like a brain standpoint, mm -hmm. our brain naturally produces things that helps us deal with anxiety. I won't get into like all the specifics, but it has to do with like our neurons being fired and, the cool thing about how our brains work is they naturally produce things that allow us to get through stressful seasons. Mm. When we introduce a foreign substance into our body that our body does not naturally produce, so when we drink alcohol or when we smoke weed, um, what it's doing is it's actually replacing things like dopamine. So what happens is when that foreign substance enters into our system and it releases this rush of dopamine, let's say, our brain's natural release of dopamine essentially goes, oh, somebody else is doing it for me. I don't need to do it right now. So it'll take a back seat. And the more that we do that, the more our brain will start to adapt and say, oh, I guess I don't need to produce this thing anymore because somebody else is doing the job for me. 
Mm. So what we inadvertently start doing is helping our brain to stop naturally producing something that it needs to be producing. And so what happens is that's why we create a dependence on things like weed, because then over time, when we stop smoking weed, suddenly we feel more anxious because our body is not naturally producing what it needs. And so our brain goes, okay, but I remember that thing over there helps me feel better. So I'll just go smoke more weed to really, to get that rush of dopamine. And that's where dependence and then addiction comes in because the more that we are using a foreign substance to do what our brain naturally does, then the more that we need that thing. So that being said, um, I'll, I'll have a lot of conversations with people who, you know, admittedly will use anxiety, I'm sorry, will use weed to kind of help with their anxiety. And one of the problems is that if you're using it to help you feel quote unquote less anxious, then you're actually doing damage to your natural ability to deal with anxiety. And you're also doing damage to you being able to have proper coping skills because you're relying on something else to do the job for you. Wow. So you'll meet a lot of people who don't have the proper coping skills just to deal with everyday stress or worse than that, very real anxiety. So if I was to remove that substance from you, my question would be, do you know how to cope without it? Wow. So that's like smoking, edible, all of it. Like it becomes a substitute for our natural ability to cope with um, things that are heavy. In our yeah. Life. And also we're not learning coping skills. Like we don't put into place things like exercise or journaling or, you know, going to therapy. Like we give lots of these different little tools um, in cognitive behavior therapy that teaches you coping skills. Hmm. You know, those are all things that um, ideally we should be doing. But if we're solely relying on a substance to do that for us, then when life gets really hard, we don't know how to function properly. Well, um, now, and now again, that we're here then. So, yeah. so since we're here, <laughs> I mean, now we're here um, because it's fascinating to me. The what is the difference then between um, psychiatrists and mental health professionals who will prescribe antidepressants mm -hmm. to people to help them cope, where their brains just don't mm -hmm. produce the right amount of yeah. things? versus like a, the natural substance of marijuana. Yeah. So you hit something really important, which is, um, again, one of the wonderful things about our brain is that sometimes we don't know why certain brains are not producing things like other brains, right? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it has to do with genetics. Sometimes it has to do with, you know, we took too many substances early on and that um, affected our brains, you know, how our chemicals are being released. Um, but there's other people where for whatever reason, you know, whether it's genetics or just the anomaly of their brain, it's just not producing what it needs. And so sometimes in those cases, it is helpful to be able to meet with a psychiatrist who can do the proper assessment. And if that's the case, sometimes for a season, sometimes for most of your life, having something to help produce that thing that your brain can't produce mm -hmm. is really helpful. But there are, unfortunately, now you have to understand, like I, you know, I, I send people to psychiatrists every so often. Um, I am so grateful for the psychiatrists that we have relationships with because they've helped a lot of my clients, but um, I don't send all of my clients to psychiatrists because I've also seen that some people will automatically go to things like medication or substances 
instead of first doing the work to find out, is this something that I really need or is this just my, my quick fix? Right. Mm. Um, unfortunately I think to, you know, just to a lot of the teenagers out there, your brain is still developing until you're at least 25. So if you're introducing all these foreign substances before your brain even has a chance to finish developing, you're actually altering the way your brain develops. Wow. Dang. All right. Well, <laughs> this took a hard left. <laughs> there's that. There's that for all of you, um, you know, who are, are are medicating with with the natural herbs. Um, and you I mean, just you just said it though really quick. It's that that's that word medicating. Because remember, ethically, this is not me having any problem with smoking yeah. weed. And and I have watched the benefits of like medicinal marijuana. I've watched mm-hmm. the the mm-hmm. benefits of CBD. Um, for me, it's always going to come down to with anything, whether it's weed or alcohol or social media, it's what mm. are you meditating? And is this your only source of relief? That's, that's a great way of putting that, um, that any one of the things you just named, uh, can become something we become dependent on and we are yes. cheating ourselves from being able to develop natural and healthier habits of coping with inevitable grief that will will happen at any time, whether it's a global pandemic mm-hmm. or something micro that just affects us and our family. Danny, thanks yeah. so much like for yeah. taking the time to, to break all that down for us. I, I always appreciate your perspective and the clear way you communicate those those sorts of things. So thanks for can thanks I for being throw, here. Can I throw one thing at you yeah, really fast? You can. Just as a final thought, um, I'm thinking about this a lot and you said it, you know, at the top of the show, which is it's been really, this has been a really hard year and we're only in March, right? You're so um, And I think, yeah, and I think um, what I'm hearing a lot of people say over and over again, and I've totally said this myself like a million times, is I just want things to go back to normal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, I want to throw a challenge out there to reframe that thought. Um, and I've had to do this to myself, which is when I say I want things to go back to normal, um, there's some things that I actually would really say, I hope don't go back to normal. Yeah. And if there's one thing that has come out of this really horrible, you know, time of trauma and grief is that we have been forced out of our very Western way of living as an individual. Yeah. We have been forced to stop being so individuated and thinking solely of ourselves. that what we've seen has been this really weird shift to everybody is suddenly thinking about others. They're checking in on friends, protecting loved ones. They're thinking about, you know, collectively how we are doing as, as a whole, as a nation, you know, as a church, as families, as friends. And the one thing that I hope more than anything does not go back to normal is that our mindset would continue to shift to group versus individual. Mm. Mm. I love that. I love it. Love it. Well, thanks again for coming on. I really, really appreciate you. I'll make sure that I, I, uh, at, you mentioned a couple of things in the show that I want to put in the show notes. Um, you referenced a, a couple of apps and certainly I want to connect people yeah. to your social media. Cause it's certainly, there's a, there's yeah. a lot of value um, in these times, but period in any time uh, from your social media that I personally gain. So thanks for all you okay. do. Thanks for coming on. And I want to thank all of you for listening to existential. Thank you for subscribing, for rating and reviewing the podcast, for sharing it with all your friends and loved ones. Uh, I want to thank Comfort Fit for the music. This song you're listening to again for the 23rd time is called Sorry. 
And I want to thank you for helping us to contend for a better world, one conversation at a time.